This is the Wu Wei Wisdom Podcast, our weekly no-nonsense life lessons aimed to inspire you to master your emotional and spiritual health, achieve balance, harmony, and flow, and rediscover the authentic and awesome you. We're your hosts, David James Lees and Alexandra Lees. Are you letting your emotions control your life? If you often find yourself in a state of emotional confusion or where your emotions and feelings are overwhelming you or in extreme, this teaching is going to be for you. You'll discover how to move from being the victim of your emotions to the master of them. Okay, David, so why is this issue of understanding our emotions and being able to control our emotions so very important? You're right, Alex. To me, it's vital. In our model, the Wu Wei Wisdom model, this is one of the real fundamentals. I call it one of the three foundations. You are the creator of your emotions. You are not the victim of them. So this doesn't mean you shouldn't have emotions or emotions are bad. I believe they're the opposite. I believe that even negative emotions are very good and useful if you use them correctly. But you are the creator. And why this is so important in our society, we are taught, we understand that emotions are something to be avoided. Emotions are something that you said in your introduction can overwhelm us. And what's more important for my clients, they base their life and their decisions on the emotion without realizing that they are the creator of the emotion. So they're, it's like spilling milk and then concentrating on the spilt milk instead of understanding how you spilt it. And you have to go back to that first fundamental. What are your beliefs? What are your thoughts? that create the emotion. Emotions are always the consequence. You can't ground yourself in consequences. And so, David, I think because a lot of people misunderstand our approach and think that somehow we are encouraging people to suppress their emotions, deny their emotions, dismiss them, uh, squash them down, ignore them, all those things. And we're absolutely not saying it. But we're, I guess one of the issues is a lot of therapy approaches right now are encouraging people to really explore, sit in, marinate in, feel the emotions, see where they are in their body and let almost like the emotions become the focus and the center of the therapy. And, and our approach is, is different again in that regard. You're right, Alex, and, 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 and when we get feedback, this is sometimes the feedback I get. They say, oh, you're saying we should ignore the emotions, and I'm not saying that. I'm saying the opposite. We should pay attention to the emotions, but the emotions are the starting point, what we call the golden thread process, which is the self-inquiry. The top line is the emotions. Let's find out what created the emotion. Let's not focus on the emotion Let's focus on the beliefs and thoughts that create the emotion. Because this is where it's so wrong when people accuse us of this. Because I believe that a negative emotion 
can be a blessing, can be one of your greatest assets, because now you've got a chance to discover what is the misaligned belief that is creating the negative emotion, whether that's anxiety, overwhelm, fear, being scared. There's a belief that's driving that emotion, and that's what you've got to get to to make the change. Change the belief, the emotion will change almost instantaneously. You don't have to stay in the same emotion once you find out the cause and the creation of the emotion. And so it's almost like the belief, our core beliefs in our in our subconscious mind often, and often those beliefs that we've carried with us since our early childhood years, they are like the dynamo, the, the kind of energizing which then influences our self-talk, our inner thoughts, our inner interpretations, our interpretations of the world and other people, which then in turn produce the emotions. So the emotions can often be it's like the surface level, really, really valuable starting point. But that's that's almost like the limitations of their value because the real value is in understanding the thoughts. And then the next level down is the core beliefs. That's right. So if you believe, for instance, let me give you an example. If you believe you're not good enough, what emotion is that going to create? It's not going to create a good emotion. You're not going to be walking around whistling a happy tune not being good enough. It creates a negative emotion. And then what, what my clients will do is to focus on the negative emotion. They'll medicate. They'll eat too much, drink too much, do something to deal with the emotion instead of dealing with the belief, I'm not good enough. Why do you believe you're not good enough? See, and this is the golden thread. Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? And that goes down into what you call the subconscious mind. In our model, we call the inner child. Because you're right, most of this was developed, adopted in your childhood. The pivotal age for me seems to be around six to nine years old. That seems to be important. I'm not being absolute. It could be five, it could be ten. But that kind of time period, I think, is very important for the construction and holding on to these beliefs. We call it the three lies. I'm not good enough, I can't cope, I'm unlovable, or I'm unworthy. All of those beliefs will then go on to create red light emotions, whatever you call them. Don't focus on the emotion, focus on the belief. So... If, for example, a client comes to you and says, I'm, I, I, I'll give you some of the red light emotions. So I'm feeling very sad. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling empty. I'm feeling rejected. My relationship has failed. And you say to them, well, what's, what's beneath those feelings? So then we get to the thoughts. So the thoughts would be something like, uh, I believe I can't be a, a good partner. I, I believe I'm a failure. I believe I'm un, unattractive. Beneath those kind of thoughts related to the relationship, which are creating those red light emotions, there is the belief that, uh, I'm not lovable. Um, you know, which may come from you, you believing your parents don't love you or your parents thinking you're not good enough. So when you ask that core question of 
where where does this belief come from? It's almost like you're asking, when was the first time? So you may be thinking all these negative things about yourself right now as an adult, just, you know, coming, emerging from this relationship. But the very first time you had this self-doubt, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, which is creating all these red light emotions that you're really struggling with, was often in childhood. Yes, Alex. So there's two things on that. that What you said is very important. First of all, you have to separate the emotion from the belief. And a lot of clients have great difficulty with that. So I, I often say to them at the beginning, do you agree that you create your emotions? You are the creator of them. Nothing wrong with emotions, but you create them. And this is the answer I nearly always get. Intellectually, David, I agree with you. I've thought about it. I've watched your videos. Intellectually, of course, emotions don't float around the room and attack me like a virus. I create them. But, and then that's the word but. But means forget what I've just said. When you hear somebody ever say a but in the middle of a sentence, I agree with that, David, but means they don't agree with it. I agree intellectually that I create my emotions. And then I say, what other source, what other grounding have you got except your intellect? And then they say, my emotions. Mm. But then you're going to the consequence again. So you've created now a circle you can't get out of. You're basing your emotions on your emotions. And there's the difficulty, Alex. And it's very difficult to break that circle. And then, as you've just explained, once you get on the golden thread, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? Where does that belief come from? You wasn't born with that belief. You wasn't born with the belief, I'm not good enough. You didn't pop out the womb and think, hey, I'm not good enough. This is a belief that you've inherited. Normally, not all the time, but normally from authority figures. Parents, grandparents, teachers, someone when you were five, six, seven, eight that you looked up to. They either said this to you directly. This happens to many of my clients. They either say, you never make anything of yourself. You're not as good as your brother. You always let us down. You're not, you're not helping the family. We're disappointed in you. It can be as direct as that, or sometimes it can be indirect. Perhaps your mother and father have difficulty in loving you or supporting you or, or being there for you. And so the inner child then comes to the conclusion what we call the vow. It must be me. There's something wrong with me. And then that creates the belief, I'm not good enough, and then you're now on the journey. And now you create the red light feelings. You cannot create a positive green light feelings, happiness, joy, confidence, believing you're not good enough. That's so true, because no matter how hard we try to think positively, have affirmations, if we have this deep-seated core belief, which is going against the grain of who we truly are, so if we have self-doubt, if we believe we're not good enough, if we believe we're unlovable, it's like it's like grinding gears. There's this, this, it's almost like a poisoned seed within us that taints 
our interpretation of everything in life, even all the joyfulness and abundance that is around us. We we can't truly embrace that when we're holding on to a core self-doubt. You're so right, and, and, and this is so vitally important for me in the basis of my work with my clients to try and help them. And this is, again, why I like the analogy of the inner child against the ego or the subconscious or the devil inside of you. This is a child. Listen to what I'm going to say now. It's very important. The inner child has come to the wrong belief for the right reasons. So the inner child created this wrong belief, there's something wrong with me, I'm not good enough, I can't cope, I'm unlovable, uh, there's something missing in me. The right reason is because it didn't have any other reference, it couldn't go and speak to their mother, their father, their, who's telling them they're not good enough or acting like they're not good enough, so they're left to their own childlike resources. And when you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, it's much easier. You can't blame the figures in authority. A lot of my clients say, well, my parents, I really love my parents. I respect them. They're like, God, they tried their best for me. Of course they did. But it doesn't mean they're always right and you have to believe everything they say. But for a child then, because they're stuck in this dilemma, it's much easier to blame themselves and then again this is why I like the analogy of the inner child the inner child when I work with a client can be the most stubborn person you've ever wished to meet they will dig their heels in they will not budge because they don't like to be proved wrong and they will stick to this belief even though they know it's wrong even though they know that. Intellectually, they know that. But this is as an adult now. This, this is, is the, the adult, the child mind, when yeah. you do the golden thread, and, you're, and what my technique is, I speak to the child. So when I'm, we've done many teachings on how I do this, so you can do this yourself. When I'm speaking to the child, I call them a little pet name. Okay, little one, now tell me why you believe you're not good enough. And they'll tell me, well, my father, my mother, my teacher, my teacher said, I'll never make nothing of myself. And then, well, if, well, if this authority figure said it, I have to believe it. Mm. And David, <clears throat> I'm wondering whether this touches upon um, a kind of position or an argument we often get put to us. So people can say, okay, well, I can understand as an adult, if I get angry with someone because they cut, you know, they cut me up on on the street in a car. I can see that I have a choice, you know, do I get angry about this or do I do I not get angry about this? So I can see in that instance there's a choice and I'm I'm choosing to create that emotion or I'm choosing to step away from it. But what about if as a child I suffered some form of terrible abuse which was totally out of my control mm. and that created real emotional trauma for me so uh feelings of emptiness feelings of guilt feelings of sadness feelings of depression which i you know i've i've carried with me from childhood and i you know 
surely I'm not the creator of those emotions because this happened to me in childhood and it wasn't my fault. It was it was them. I was only a child. So you're absolutely right. This is the number one contention. So absolutely I agree with you. You are not responsible. As a child, you are not responsible. Creating the emotion would be the appropriate response. I'm glad you did it. It may have even saved your life. Well done. You should be so proud of yourself because you are victorious. Whether that's a childhood um, dysfunctionality, whether that's abuse, sexual, physical, emotional, well done. You are victorious. That does not make you the victim. And there's the distinction. You created the appropriate emotions at the time to get you through that situation. That's what we said at the top of the teaching. I am not saying emotions are wrong. I am not saying you should not create emotions. Sometimes emotions are very helpful. Sometimes emotions, in the case that you've just spoken about, saved your life. You survived. You should be so proud of yourself. And then you said something very important. Then you say, said, I then carry it on through the rest of my life. Yeah. Why do you carry it on through the rest of your life? Why through that incident, say this dysfunctionality, this abuse happened between the ages of whatever, 5 and 12, 5 and 15. Why are you now carrying on the same belief system when you're 20, 30, 40, 50? Some of my clients, 60, 70, 80, talking about the same belief system that had to happen to them decades ago. Why haven't you updated that belief system? That's why this teaching is so vital. You look at your beliefs. Why do you believe what you believe? What do you believe? Why do you believe it? So in this case, David, when you say belief system, what you are talking about is the we are re-experiencing the same level of uncomfortable emotions that we experienced when we were faced right hard up to the this situation in our childhood, the traumatic dysfunctional situation, because there is something going on in our mind which is constantly recreating the experience in terms of what we're believing about ourselves, what we're believing about the outside world, and what and what and what we're thinking. Because it's again, we come back to this idea of the thoughts and the beliefs being the dynamo. So although the the event is not happening, the actual event of what we experience or series events has long passed now, we are almost recreating the event. So the the uh the the injustice of it the horribleness of it the vivid imagination of it um the sense of abandonment all all the kind of things that go on in a in a very confused upset childlike mind we are we are still somehow recreating the event in our mind holding on to the event and that is now what is generating what has become the dynamo for the emotions that we are experiencing because a lot of people think 
I experienced the event decades ago or the period of my life decades ago. I I experienced the emotions. Those emotions are now kind of embedded within the physicality of me. It's like now it's part of who I am, but it's not the emotions, is it? It's the beliefs and the thoughts that come from the beliefs, which are almost embedded in the psyche. Okay, you said a lot there. So let me try and pick because I, I agreed with 90% of what, of what you said. So what happens when you experience that series? It could be one event for a lot of my clients. It's a series of events over many years. They then create a belief. The belief will always be that there is something wrong with them, the vow. There's something missing in me. Now, you said they recreate the event. Not always, Alex. What they do, they have a set of beliefs now. Um, the way that I teach it, it's like wearing a set of glasses. And you see the world, but through your belief system, through your glasses, they're tinted yellow. So now everything you see is through that same belief. So if the belief is I'm not good enough, Let's say that. This happened to me. My parents didn't love me. It must be my fault. Oh, let's use as I'm unlovable. My parents didn't love me. That must be my fault. I'm unlovable. Now that's the color, the tint of your glasses. Now you don't keep on reminding yourself your parents don't love me. But what you're doing now from now on is looking at the world through those tinted glasses. So you're looking, I think you use the word confirmation biased. I use the word self-fulfilling prophecy. You're looking at something that fulfills that belief. And then over time, like a dripping tap, that belief becomes firmer and firmer and firmer. You reject all of the stuff that disproves you're unlovable. You let go of that you because that doesn't fit your model. You concentrate on emphasizing that belief. Then you went on to say, the belief becomes ingrained. I don't like that word ingrained because a lot of my clients think that, oh, you can't change beliefs. They're ingrained. They're natural. No, you can change a belief. We change our beliefs all the time. But they get confirmed, 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 confirmed because you're confirming them. And that's why the golden thread process, this process of self-inquiry, going down to this very important question. What do you believe? See, it's about you, not what your parents believe, not what your partner believes, not what your boss believes. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? And that is really the core. And as you then went on to say, quite rightly, what a lot of my clients have done is then build their lives on this false belief, I'm not good enough, and the subsequent emotions that they're the victim of their emotions. And that puts them in what I call the carousel of despair. They're going round and around, as I've just described, confirming, reconfirming, you know, all of the time in their mind. So the way they're living their life is confirming this false, misguided belief because they're basing their life not on their shen, as I said earlier, not on being victorious, not on finding a way through a situation. My clients tell me some 
terrible situations they've had in their childhood. I'm amazed that they've gone through it. You are victorious. Don't live your life as the victim. And sorry, David, when you said Shen, what you're talking about is your authentic self, your true value and worth, not the kind of value and worth or the status that you earn from other people or, or you know, what you look like or what job you've got or what car you're driving. Your true value and worth uh, is pristine and can't be diminished regardless of what life experiences you've gone through. That's right, Alex, and that's why the vow is so vitally important. When you've said to yourself as a child, again, remember the age, six, seven, eight, nine, it's very powerful, when you said to yourself, and you doubt yourself, there's something wrong with me, there's something missing with me, there's something not right with me, whatever you've personally said, that's the beginning, that's the seed. Then you put another another layer. Now the three lies. I'm not good enough. I can't cope. I'm unlovable or I'm unworthy. Now you're setting the, the tint on your glass. Now you're looking for confirmation. And it's like layers of an onion. And you confirm, you confirm, and you confirm. And what you're actually doing is confirming a false, misguided belief. And that's the problem. And then that's when a client says, but it's ingrained. It's ingrained, David. It's not ingrained. It's not. It's a belief. The belief is force. And that's where the inner child work. And we've done many, many teachings on this. It's so important. You have to go back through the golden thread, through the self-inquiry. You have to reintroduce yourself to that inner child part of your mind you may be more comfortable calling it your subconscious mind or your ego, but it, I see it as an inner child. And I say on many videos, this is why I love doing this work with a client. To me, when I work with a client, it's like walking down cellar steps. That's what the, the golden thread process is. You're approaching the child down into a dark, dank, dark cellar. And in the corner there is a beautiful child huddled up, doesn't know how to get out of it. And that's why this is so powerful. This child is victorious. This child is not a victim, and it just needs someone to sit with them. That's what I do in the first instance. Sit with them and talk to them. Listen to them. Answer their questions. And I'm sorry to say, for a lot of my clients, they've never done that to that part of the mind. They've done the opposite. They've criticized them, they've compared them, they've been judgmental, they've pushed them down. And just to sit with a child, and this is what I love the most about my sessions, when I can get through the resistance and sit with a child and answer the child's question, such as, as you said, if my mother tells me I'm not good enough, does that make it true? Do you believe everything your mother has said? Why would you believe this? Perhaps the problem has never lie, lay with you. Perhaps the problem is with your mother or your father's emotional maturity and intelligence. Why don't you widen that picture? Why don't you look at your grandparents and see how they brought up your parents? Why don't you see if there's a pattern going through your generations 
of this way of bringing up children through criticism. And then the child goes, oh, you're right. Yes, I start to see that. Now what you're doing, you're widening the perception and you're giving the child what I call emotional education. Your inner child is not stupid. I never treat an inner child. They can be stubborn, they can be resistant, but they're not stupid. And once you start to give them that correct information and they understand that they create the emotion and why a lot of the inner child creates emotion is to get your attention and to be heard, to be listened to. And that's what we should do in the inner child work in the golden thread process, it's very powerful. I would say life-changing because you can go back to the core, to the root, to the foundation. The Taoists call it the fountainhead. I call it the first domino. You know, when all the dominoes spread out, you have to get to that first domino and you have to be able to sit with your inner child and you have to love it, compassionate, kindness, listen to it, Work with it. Answer its questions. And the questions are difficult questions. Why would my parents do that to me? Shouldn't a biological mother and father love their child? If they don't love their child, surely it's my fault. These are the questions you have to answer. And David, I think a lot of people who are listening to this teaching may think, gosh, you know, I tuned into this because I'm suffering from anxiety, I'm suffering from depression, I'm suffering from mood swings, my my emotions are like a roller coaster every day. And you're talking about some really heavy childhood therapy stuff. But the truth is, in reality, I what would you say, 90 plus percent of people who come to you suffering from surface level adult emotional health problems which they often believe are because of things that are going on in their life right at that moment in time the root cause is this deeper stuff so it's this deeper stuff that you really need to look at in order to move from being the victim of your emotions to the understanding them and then being able to master them and control them and use them as a force for good in your life you're right, Alex. I don't know what the percentage is, but I think that people that want to look at this model and tune into our videos and podcasts and perhaps book a session with me, they know, they know deep down inside this is something that's been buried and heavy. And you call it this, this heaviness. And, 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 and I would disagree with you. I think that once you start to understand the model and start to work with it for yourself and this is the beauty of this once you learn this you can do this for yourself because what we're trying to do instead of having this internal separation between your subconscious your inner child and you the whole process is to bring it together so you're one so you're working together from one thought and one vice and that's based in shen your innate worth and value and once the client sees that you'll be surprised that you said it sounds heavy. But a lot of the times we're laughing and we're joking because we can see the inner child kind of... I always get this vision of the inner child going, I'm not going to change. No, I'm not going to change. No, I've believed this for so many years. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to tell you I'm wrong. 
And that's kind of, you have to work with that inner child. And this inner child is not evil. It's not bad. It is very stubborn, but it wants and needs that help. And I would be more kind of value the child and be more connected to the child the more it does that. Because to me, now it's engaging. Now, if we can get into that conversation that we call re-parenting, now we can challenge, well, why do you believe that? Well, why do you believe that? Well, where did that come from? Were you born with that belief? Were you born not being good enough? And those are the questions. And what we're really doing, Alex, is we're really opening the way we look at ourselves and the way we view the world. We're changing the tint of those glasses and we're seeing the the world now through clear glass. And this is why this teaching, I'm sure we'll come back to this numerous times because it is the bedrock. It's one of the three principles of Wu Wei wisdom. You are the creator of your emotions. You are not the victim of them. You are not a victim. Stop thinking yourself as a victim. Think of yourself as victorious. Wonderful. Thank you, David. And I will put links in the show notes to our Golden Thread Process playlist, which has a lots more teachings on helping you understand this the Wu Wei wisdom process of self-inquiry that David's talked about and he uses with all his clients. And also I put a link to our inner child video playlist. And there's so many teachings on there to help you with this inner child conversation, inner child narrative, and the inner child reparenting. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Wu Wei Wisdom Life Lesson. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and please rate and review us to help us grow. If you'd like to work one-to-one with David, he supports clients all over the world every week via video call. You can learn more about David's consultations plus our online events, offers and gifts on our website, wuweiwisdom.com. You can also meet and share with us in our private Facebook group, on our YouTube channel, and on Instagram. Search for Wu Wei Wisdom and you'll find us. Until next time, stay happy, healthy, and in your flow.